You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings. This is Quantum Leap Book Club. Our book for this month is Matter Into Feeling by Fred Allen Wolf. I am your host, Parisha, and my co-host this week is Joyce Mullenhauer from Arizona, Tim and Steve Jones from Arizona. We have our two ladies from Australia, Geraldine Dalby Ball from Sydney, and we have Marianne Love from Melbourne. We have Trina Cooper from Denver, and uh, this week we will not have any uh, input from Maria Jacques in Miami, but she's off off doing some other good stuff. So we're just going to simply carry it this week by ourselves. We're actually starting with Chapter 5, Hey, and that chapter is actually one that I feel is extremely important in the book that we're studying, especially Matter into Feelings. When we begin to stand, understand the anatomy and physiology of the cellular mass that our body is and how it functions into what we call life, we can understand more the importance of our mindset and what our thoughts and why we stress how thought actually is the key to everything. So here when we begin to discuss this and move into the details of this, we understand that we live and die in every breath. And that how the body and the energy and the existence of the body is taking place. There is total activity, absolute constant, very fast moving activity going on with every breath we take. And so therefore becoming more consciously aware of our thoughts, we begin to make things happen on the level that we want to have happen. The other thing that I feel that this chapter will make clear is the importance for you to extend yourself beyond your usual knowledge of things. Let's say, because I get a lot of communication from you all, the listeners, and I'm very, very happy with our interaction. A lot of you have goals of success to where you're changing due to COVID's effects and stuff. You're having to change your income situation and your positions or your careers. Okay, this is wonderful. This is great. This information is going to be very helpful to you. Okay, when those particular situations happen and we're looking for answers or influence, whatever we have opened our mind to is actually the extent of the choices we'll have. What does that mean? Well, if I'm looking to start and I'm really drawn to thinking about a computer business because I've read some stats and everything, and it says it's a good business deal, but I know nothing more than how to use my computer to communicate or do my Facebook. Okay, what I will benefit from is to get more in-depth information on computer, internet work or whatever. And then I've opened the field to a much broader selection. If I'm looking to become a veterinarian or maybe even work as a veterinarian assistant, 
but I know very little about anything other than cats. Okay, so if I then read some information and find some information about birds and dogs and snakes and anything else people might have as pets, I've opened up the bigger horizon of my probabilities, okay? So the importance of constant education and new input, knowing something you didn't know yesterday, today, is absolutely the pathway to future and exciting change, okay? And in this chapter, we begin to learn about the curve of how and what point we maintain ourselves in position on and how that affects how we move through all those choices. Knowing that life and death isn't determined by years to say you got you, someone died at five years, 15 years, 80 years, 90 years. This is not what we're looking at. We live and die by breath. And this chapter brings the reality of the importance then in us being fully aware and in the moment, okay? So I'm going to ask that Marianne Love from Melbourne actually start with chapter five and read the Hebrew glyph that uh, Dr. Wolf actually brings to each beginning of the chapter. And this one is, hey, Marianne, you there? I am. Great. So, hey to noon. Hey represents life, an all-inclusive notion. When there is response, Dalit, to motion, Gimel, of material, bait, moved by spirit, Aleph, we have life. Hay transforms into noon as the seed-like life form becomes a full-grown living being. For this transformation to occur, the seed must break through a shell. It's, this seems to be true throughout the living kingdom. Whether through a nutshell or the vaginal canal, Life struggles to be born. Okay, very, very good. And again, this is chapter five. And in your books of matter into feeling, please take time with that. I even meditate on the glyph as well as the message. Okay. So then we move to chapter five. Okay. And the first, I would really like you to read uh, very slowly and, and uh, meaningful the chapter, the first paragraph of that chapter. This one's called, this chapter's called The Curve of Life. Opportunities multiply as they are seized. Sun Tzu. Although it may not seem so at times, life is a balance between transformation and resistance to transformation. Our bodies exist and feel life because the mind within our bodies urges matter through time. That urge allows life to continue as is or to change. Cells must come into a kind of balancing act between living and dying. Here we explore one aspect of the nature of this balancing act, which shows us that the process is a natural part of life, one that enables life to continue and change, often making new life forms emerge. Wonderful. Okay, so in, in actually digesting what she has read here is actually what the point says that I'm making is that the importance of awareness of every breath in every moment to be as aware as you can possibly sensitize yourself to do is important and actually has the rewards we're looking for in making our life more than what it is or where we want to go, okay? So... I'm going to ask our co-host to actually begin to share 
with you the, the actual uh, review that each of them have made on this chapter. And again, I ask my co-host, please make sure that you help our listeners get a really good visual mental picture of the curve that we're talking about. And we're going to go now to Joyce Mullenhauer. Joyce, can you pick it up there? Yes, I will definitely like to do that. The teeter-totter is what came to my vision when I first started into this chapter, because this is such a balancing act between transformation and resistance to transformation. And I think this is certainly just by itself something worth pondering on, because in a day's life, and as grandmother has just said to us, by the breath, by the nanosecond, we are transforming or resisting to transform. So our body cells are in a balancing act between being alive or dying. And the bell curve is just a fascinating way to relate. And, and I think many of us consider the bell curve something that we had hanging over us in school time. And with the bell curve for school, one wanted to be on the one end of it, showing that we were exceptional. We didn't want to be exceptionally, we wanted to be exceptionally successful, not exceptionally not successful. And a great number of people were really happy to be in the middle of it. Well, the bell curve can be applied to us as a human being and how we live, because it influences when we recognize that by the nanosecond, we are a new, different person. And it's only when we think we want to stay the same person or we choose to stay the same person that we end up on the bell curve up near the top of the curve, saying that we're average and what society has come to understand is normal, which is so far off what any po potential is. So with 100 billion neurons in our nervous system, each of those 100 billion neurons activates about 10,000 feedback loops. And that, like I can't even get my mind around those numbers. But the bottom line of that message is there is no limit. And any limit that we have accepted, we have bought into some really absurd ideas, which has limited us greatly. So uh, th that's pretty much my first attempt at sharing what this chapter means to me. And I would certainly like to share more this time. All right, real, real good, Joyce. That, and you've done a fantastic job with that. I would like to make more clarity for our listeners, okay? When we're talking about the bell curve that we're discussing, just get a picture of there's a wave moving in front of you. There's the ups and downs and there's the peaks and the troughs, right? The bell curve that we're talking about is actually the peak, okay? So it's the rising up of the energy. It comes to its peak, and then it goes back down into a trough. Well, all we're dealing with is that particular moment of where it's at the peak, okay? And when we're discussing the effects of the curve, we will be measuring that from when we're saying the coming up of the gradient going up and the gradient going down. I also want to bring to you a statement on one page 104 when Dr. Wolf actually reflects the Buddhist perspective in this. Actually, how I met Dr. Wolf many years back and developed a relationship with him was actually in meeting and the discussions of 
professionals and scientists that were working and considering looking at the Buddhist particular uh, perspectives on life, death, and breath, and meditation, okay? And Buddhism is not a religion. It is a practice. It is a practice of mind, focus, and spirit, okay? So from the Buddhist perspective, no permanent self, bodily bound, exists at all, okay? So what it's saying here is there's no permanent self. So we have such stitch fear and horror in actually trying to fight death and not we we try to not even think about it because then we think we're getting morbid okay but when we think of the stability of just existence we have to include that there is the expiring there is the birthing and there is the expiring of a breath and the cells and the photons and it's when we get into the science of what that is what all is firing off. I mean, trillions of activity is happening within that breath. So the Buddhist perspective of is there is no permanent self, okay? So then the Buddhist practice is to live each moment and to be aware in each moment of all that's going on and the life of that, allowing us to have this powerful, wide range and perspective of possibilities. Okay, and seeing that in a peaceful, calm way, knowing and accepting the faith, the belief that it's all there and that all we need to do is make the choice of what level of participation, which means focusing. What part are we looking at, thinking on and actually being aware of? Now, knowing that, okay, we can stop blaming COVID for anything. Beginning to understand that we don't look at the negative or what wasn't desired when we're focusing on the gratitude and what was desired and the presence of that in whatever degree it exists. We're magnifying and appreciating that in a very rapid growth in our life. So if you have a fear, you're intensifying it by allowing yourself to live and exist and worry in that fear. But if you actually can think of anything, it doesn't matter if it's a topic, you know, in perspective of the topic of your concerns, like say you're worrying about you have cancer. You cannot focus on that. You have to focus on the wholeness and the health of the body, all the rest of the body and all the good of that. And you want to focus on that you're doing wholesome and healthy and, and life enhancing things. That's your focus. And that's breath by breath, okay? That's that's instantaneous right there all the time. So you do have to practice this. And that's the Buddhist way of, of growth and, and spirituality. To practice it is to do it, the activity of it. So when we're saying we want to change something, okay, we have to be real clear what the what is that we want, not what we're changing. If we're focusing on what we're changing, it stays. It becomes in itself all, all encompassing. So if, if I want more, I can't consider where I'm at and think where I'm at is scarce. I have to think of it and know that the only way it's going to get more is I'm focusing on the more. If I'm, if I'm going to travel 
and and I this has all come up because I'm involved with a lot of traveling situation right now, and people are worried. They're 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 bringing up all of the whatever that could happen. Okay, no, here's what is going to happen. You're arriving very safe. You're on time. You immediately click in. You know, these are the things that, as far as I'm concerned, all the Buddhist practices that I have involved myself in all my life is the difference in many cases between where I'm at and where other people are at. And it's nothing more than this little sentence I just read you. From a Buddhist perspective, no permanent self bodily bound exists at all so no matter what your experience in that moment is is that something is wrong or something bad is going to happen that's what you have to change that you just switch to seeing what it is you want to have happen and that's easily done if you remain calm you have the facts you understand and that you can have the faith to do it that works that's exactly what we're working on in this chapter. Okay, so next up would actually be Trina Cooper in Denver. Trina, you there? I am. Um, I think this is a fascinating, I don't know why that's going on. I think it's a fascinating um, chapter. And I want to pick up under the bell-shaped curve of life. Good. And he uses this pattern as a bell curve. If you think about the bell curve, where you have the averages, um, all the little, all the little points of light, or all the little life experiences, the average behaviors that we have surface at the top of this bell curve, and then to the outside on either side are these extremes, things that can be added or taken out of our out of our pattern. Our brain sees things as patterns, and our neurons are created by using these patterns, continuous patterns. He uses politics as an example that most of us are the average. We're in the middle, but to our extremes, we might have extreme left, extreme right. Well, when we're in this average behavior, we get threatened by the right and left. We actually feel that resistance. And that's the resistance that he talks about at the beginning of life, this transformation. There's always a resistance to it. So there's a homeostasis, and that's that upper part of the bell curve where we seem to maintain our behaviors. We think about it. Think about moments in life kind of like frames in a film that's running through a projector. It seems continuous to us, but actually it's moment to moment to moment. And if we continue to behave the same way, moment to moment to moment, that's where our average is. That's where our bell curve is. That's where our homeostasis is. Now, the heterostasis is, the, is our goal or something we want to change. And that's going to be on an extreme. But if we want to change it, we need to add more. We need to repeat more. We need to move that homeostasis, that heterostasis, the outside, the, what feels a little threatening, into the norm of our behavior, into the middle and the higher part of our bell curve. So he gave an example about don't sneer at this. And he gave the example of if you come into contact with the same thing over and over again, like sneering, it's going to change the neurons in our brain. Our, our behavior is going to shift because we've been 
subject to this behavior over and over and over again. We pick up the patterns and we change. Now, he gave the example of a flip of a coin. So when you use the flip of the coin, if you flip a coin 16 times, the average is going to be eight. But if you add more and more and more flips, it changes the, the average, it moves the bell curve. So if we flipped it 32 times, the average would be 16. If we load the coin with more heads, there's gonna be even more heads. And so it's going to change where the bell curve is, where that upper edge of the bell is for us. So the very first thing he talked about too is that loading the coin in the case of our lives, it's when we become aware of something we wanna change. As soon as we bring behavior, an awareness of a behavior and an intent to change it, we're already loading what we're doing. And the more and more we add little pieces of, of new behavior, the more we repeat it, then that average begins to change and the new behavior becomes our homeostasis instead of just a goal that we're reaching. So he talked about if we flip the coin, this is an example he gives, if we flip the coin and someone asks us, what's the chances that it's heads? We have to say 50%. But if we've actually kind of peeked at the coin and we know what it is and someone asks us, what's the chances? It's either going to be 100% or it's going to be zero because we already know what's there. So if it's heads, we know it's heads. When we allow new knowledge to come in, new consciousness, and we observe that moment to moment to moment, and we're continually putting in what it is that we want, our knowledge and our consciousness of it, and the repeated behavior changes our behaviors from where we used to be on the bell curve to a brand new bell curve where we sit at the top of a brand new behavior, a new homeostasis. And that's what I got out of the chapter. That's fantastic. Bruno, very, very good. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, we're going to go now and let uh, Steve Jones. Steve, are you there? Uh, Steve's in Arizona. We're going to let you add to some of the things that uh, Trina just gave us. What's up? You there? Yeah, I'm here. So uh, Wolf explains that ourselves are made up of many different moments of consciousness that just come to pop in and then fade away. And then another one of ourselves arise to take its place. So we're many different individual moments of consciousness. So in that, we have the opportunity to be a new person with every new self that pops in. And he talks about when looking at our thoughts in the bell curve, we see that most of the thoughts which are in the wider section of the curb, contribute to the homeostasis or they fall into the usual patterns. Well, the, a smaller number at uh, the two thinner ends, they're described as heterostatic and those are like unusual thoughts, like for when we wanna do something out of the normal, like moving towards something bigger, like such as one of our goals. And he says that you can predict a person's life to an extent by which of those thoughts fall into the larger portion of the bell curve, which means they're more prevalent, they think them more often. And he, uh, he uses, uses sneering as an example 
of how our patterns of behavior and speech are molded by the specific society we're affected by. So our patterns are reflected by the behavioral norms of that society, whichever society you live in. So your sneer and your other characteristics might be different depending on which country you live in because, because that influence of that country will actually mold how you think and how you act. And he talks about how conscious observation of a behavior can actually alter the, our bell curve of our thoughts by adding more neurons associated with that behavior. So the more you observe and you, the more that you're influenced by whatever you're observing by that behavior. And he, he talks about an experiment that describes how our ability of pattern recognition is how the brain calculates probabilities. And so the more that we know, the greater our accuracy will be in observation. So with so many, so many cells popping in and out uh, of existence, we need to make sure that those cells are what we want so that the thicker part of our bell curve are, are all good things. And that's why. That's real, real good. You and Trina have used a word that uh, people are hitting the lines and saying, what is searing? Shearing. Okay, can one of you give a definition to our listeners? What, what, are you, what are you referencing as searing? I'm not sure what the word is you're saying. When you say the example is to sneer. I can take that one. Okay. It's, it's one of the titles that he uses in this is the sneer. And the sneer is like when you kind of flare your nostrils and you kind of wrinkle your nose and you can make a face at somebody. Um, it's almost a lot of times it's when you kind of have this feeling of disgust and you kind of go, uh, or, yeah, you just, you squint your eyes up and that's what a sneer is. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to move on to Geraldine Dalvival in Sydney, Australia, to pick it up where Steve's left off. Geraldine, you got some things to add to that? Absolutely. And I'd like to add that today I'm in the most delightful Tasmania, which is the way south of Australia, that island at the bottom. And it's magnificent. I am surrounded by nature. And it very much reminds me this very moment of the opening of the chapter that said that even photons and everything material pulses and I'm here looking at a river in front of me a beautiful creek with a mirror-like section and then little riffles and I'm realizing that as I look at that piece of the river it continues to look like a river right in front of me it's still a river but every single moment the water that I'm looking at is different it's moved the water that I'm looking at one second is now further down the stream and there's water to come up the stream. And I'm looking at that and thinking, wow, that's like my life. I think that I'm this continuous piece right here, yet at any moment I'm flowing through. So the me that was is already gone down the river and the me that is is still somewhere else, but it's all the river. The whole river exists right now. And I just... I just think nature's beautiful for letting us know, you know, another way of looking at that. So that's what I see at the beginning where it says, like a photon or any piece of reality, we come in pulses of life and any second I can be reborn. Knowing that, it then um, goes to the next part of that bell-shaped curve. And here again, an excitement was hearing as you opened about um, if you wanted to run a business or something, you'd get more information on it. 
well, how does that actually change our probability? How does it make it more likely to come about? And as he's showing in this, the more your neurons fire in a certain area, the more likely they are. So he talks about success breeds success. Also, failure breeds failure. So if you've fallen off your bike, if you've done a deal that didn't work, the major thing there is let it go. And as, um, as has been shared with us in Cherokee, my understanding is there's not a word for failure, but it's falling forward, picking up the information that's come from that and moving forward. Then a failure or a falling becomes a success. So how do we make everything a success? Because it's successes that push our probability curve. And I know in some sports groups as well, great trainers will say to them, oh, that's fantastic. They may not have won, but that's fantastic because now we've exposed all these areas that we can get better on. So success from this game was how much information we gained of how we're going to push our bell curve of success because we know what actions to take. So that whole thing about probability. And the other thing, I've just talked about actions here. And as Steve mentioned, it's also about observation. So if I catch myself thinking a certain way, that's enough to already change the probability that I'll do differently next time. So that awareness every moment changes the probability, which is really quite exciting. It makes it seem easier and more friendly to ourselves. Uh, the other bit is flipping the coin. And this is part of it as well. They're so-called loaded. If you imagine sticking a little bit of blue tack or something sticky on a coin, that when you flip it, it's heavier on one side. That's the same as what information does for us. That's the same. That's why it changes the probability because we've stuck something on it that means that coin is now going to be heavier on that side. It's going to fall that way more often. So how do we change the bell curve for a whole of society? Well, we change it for ourselves. We normalize things. So if there's something in your life, you say, oh, people should, or this should, or that should, just do it for yourself. Start to normalize it in your thinking, in your conversations, and you start to move the bell curve. It then moves to um, this really sort of exciting part at the end of the chapter where it says, well, when we're changing our probability, and as you heard from Trina, there's normal things in the middle, then way out things at each end. Those way out things still exist. The way out viewpoints, way out genetic occurrences of you know rare animals or mutations, they exist. And there's this question that says, some of those are the things that are better adaptive or a better thought process for the future. But how do we know to even have these things that are way out of the normal bell curve? So it's telling us in society, one, we need to be tolerant of allowing so-called extremes either end. Don't judge them, just know they're there. There's a time when they have a purpose. And he says that what happens in life, this is how the chapter concludes, is that the cells and the beingness reaches and shakes hand with the future. So it's actually the future then influencing the present and that influences that bell curve. Now we have some of these extremes at the edges that come in hand at some time. So it also teaches us tolerance. And that's where I'd like to conclude. <laughs> that's so fantastic. I'm loving it. I have to say to my co-hosts, I'm loving your enthusiasm in this. I The excitement that you're saying in this. I want to share with our listeners that every co-host that I bring on this show are actually what I would consider people soulmates, meaning that we travel pretty much on the same particular wave of energy thought and and virtue okay and when i see them get excited with me on what i'm seeing in it and especially where it's with change 
I can say without any hesitance that we bring change, that when we put our mind and focus in a conscious collective way, we make a difference. You are part of that. You count, you matter, you are the difference. If each one of you just simply entertain that to some level and use this information and feel the excitement of those realities, our world is going to become exactly what we want it to. We want to break down the borders that actually separate us and make us critical of each other. That each one of us are purely just trying to live a healthy and, and decent life. We have that in common and how dare us judge one another in any way that would interrupt that or actually destroy that. So what we're sharing with you in this chapter is our passion, our, our absolute passion that everybody catch this wave and understand this. It's not that hard. And that to associate and work with like-minded, to join us on this show every week, to actually listen to how we're interacting with this, for you to catch the enthusiasm of each one of us and what this means to us and how we understand this, this is what we're doing and how we see the changes. We celebrate that because that's exactly how the world becomes this beautiful, beautiful existence in time, space, beauty. And this is possible. This simply look at it. Go, if you have the book, go back through this chapter. Make sure you see how it works for you and how easy it is to understand that that bell curve tells me every day where I'm at. I'm on which side of it. I'm at the top. Where am I? And then I can take control where I want to be. And this is exactly what we're sharing and helping you understand. Well, then I'm going to open up for the rest of you, my co-hosts, to actually share any further thoughts you have on what we've seen here in Chapter 5. And again, I am delighted to see you're all as enthusiastically looking at this the way I am. Fantastic. Definitely, we are making change. So whatever you want to share. Anybody got something extra you'd like to throw in the pot? We have a few minutes here. This is Marianne. I'd love to share a couple of things. So I love this chapter because it really brought some compassion and understanding to what it is to be human. And I think we can be treat ourselves really kindly because of some of this information. Like it really helped me understand that, you know, in every moment a new self pops up and that that self is actually conditioned towards being the average of me in the past. And so instead of judging myself, I can totally understand why something might emerge, but then use the power of focus and shift to actually move towards change. So he talks about homeostasis and heterostasis, just being a part of our natural wiring. And homeostasis is where we attempt to reinforce or maintain an average, whereas heterostasis is the defined as seeking a goal or a maximum condition. And just understanding that that is a part of how we're wired in who we are, that balance between maintaining an average and moving towards change actually helps me understand myself and what it is to be human. And so I found that really cool. Okay, very, very good. Exciting. Get in. Exciting. Okay, anybody else got a few more things you want to add to the heap? Here? Yes. 
I, I would definitely like to add. I One of the battles I've had in my life with myself is feeling stuck at moments. So this takes that totally away. How can I be stuck if within a nanosecond, I am a new person? So just absorbing that and, and refusing to allow myself to be the same in the next nanosecond is my mission. Wonderful. And I, and I love hearing that because right now I know personally you're facing another challenge, a usual challenge to where you're never really happy with yourself. So that's great to hear, Joyce. Thank you very much. Anybody else? I've got a quick one on the homeostasis and the hetero. So home, homo means same and hetero means different and stasis is a level. So also to acknowledge that my body is wanting homeostasis so that's keeping the same levels of my internal chemistry and then that allows me to say right why am i why does it, why is it hard sometimes what is this voice what's this thing that comes up and says because i might say oh i'm going to change my mind i'm going to sit here on the bell curve and shift it and to as he opens it's through pushing through the resistance that we have creation and knowing about internal chemistry and homeostasis or wanting to keep the same level of whatever chemistry is in me doesn't mean that chemistry is the most optimum for my body, but that my body, my body is programmed for keeping the same levels of all chemistry, that there's going to be some resistance to push through to move the bell curve in a particular direction. So that's, that's a nice way to be kinder to yourself as well, because you can say, who's talking? Is that the body chemistry? If it is, I say, okay, I appreciate you. I know that you're made to keep things the same. We're doing different. I love it. And I, I want to bring you back to uh, page one, 104, okay, where we're dealing with the Buddhist perspective on this, okay, and that I'm just going to take to reading, which is not what I usually ask, but I, I want you, the readers, to please go highlight this section, okay, it brings it home a little easier, okay, and, and looking at it, so that you understand what we're talking about, that this is a moment, momentarily, okay, moment to moment, breath to breath, Okay, actually heartbeat to heartbeat. Okay, that we're looking at this. Okay, it here it says instead of each monetarily in each instead. Okay, instead each self monetarily arises emitted like a photon. If you know anything about a photon, it's like it's like fireworks. It's just constantly in our body. We have these little explosions that are happening constantly. So how how fast could that be, right? We're saying momentarily, but it's like even nanoseconds don't say it's just an instantaneous thing that's happening with us, okay? So emitted like a photon and like a photon traveling through space carries out the action required for that particular self. So, I mean, all of this huge stuff is happening simultaneously. When, when people come into uh, develop do you know expanded development or, or self-exploration and stuff I have them all usually they'll come and say but I'm having such anxiety and I'm having stress and everything else this is what we're talking about this is what happens and it's natural so what I do is immediately set people at peace and saying yes but look what you're doing okay you're stepping into an interstate highway to where you know every car here is going 90 mile an hour and you're trying to determine at this point what exit you're going to get off. Okay. So in, in the fact that these photons are moving so spontaneously fast, and that is the existence of your life in that moment. Okay. 
And that you have to make, you know, a decision. You put yourself into saying, I want it to be different. Okay, so it doesn't have the usual course of travel. So it's going to have to determine where, where does this change? We're going to call this exit change. And if you, if you journal, if you're sitting and you're journaling and you're writing your life story, in journaling, what is the story you want us to hear? What is it that you want to live? What's going to make it worth you jumping out of bed in the morning, ready to go, full run, okay? If you're journaling that, if you're presetting and bringing new things into your mental environment, if, if, you, if there's a number of things and somebody says, do you have you ever thought about having a florist, you know? And at the moment, because you're looking for a new business, right? And somebody talks about a florist and you hear that and you think, oh, well, I love flowers, you know? So I, yeah, let me look into that, you know? The fact that you go look into it and get a, an understanding of what all that's going to take and everything else, you know, okay, does that still feel enthusiasm? Do you feel that that's something you want to do? But you don't know that until you've actually put in new information. So if you're made up of only whatever it is that you have, and it's the everyday, everyday stuff, okay, you don't have the horizons that we're talking about. And then what you, the listener, does is, you know, to contacts me and or contacts back to us and saying, well, this doesn't work. This involves you having an adventure, live as an adventure, explore, meaning anything and everything different. And I don't mean that that means listening to the news. Stop listening to the news. Go on YouTube or someplace else and, and put on something that says, I don't, I don't know anything about that. So I'm just going to go sit here, listen and see what it is. Putting in that new information and actually looking at what that is and journaling what you would like to see your life come into being. If you just have that, listen to me, if you just have that in the mind, the mind begins to attract and magnetically bring to you in the physical sense, time, space brings you those opportunities. They will present themselves through somebody you meet or something you saw or something else. As long as you're entertaining it, as long as you're massaging it and them photons are firing off, okay, it's going to come. It, it, you know, I, in my life, I have books that fall on my head. There was, a, we were in a bookstore and I was buying a book for a friend and I'd come over and I happened to go by the magazine rack. Okay. And I had already been looking into some things and actually thinking about how to chart my, my year on as far as following seasonal things and, you know, weather and so forth and on. And didn't, you know, other than that, I actually had the passing thought that somebody had given me that said, well, have, have you access to farmer's almanac? No, you know, why? And they said, well, you can, you can prescribe to it, but that would be where you could see an overall thing if you really wanted to look at it, right? So I'm over by this magazine rack and everything. Actually, what I was looking at was a picture of Oprah Winfrey on her magazine and everything. And it, I mean, five feet away, five feet away down the magazine rack, Farmer's Almanac falls off the top shelf, okay, and lands on the floor. And when I look over there, I see Farmer's Almanac. I just start to laugh. 
I mean, this is so commonplace in my life and I'm sure in my co-host's life. This is who we are. This is why we like to share this time with you. This is why we come on. None of us are getting paid on this. Our payment is you, okay? And when I saw that, I went over and picked it up and I just started to laugh. But then I just opened it. I bought it, of course. But then I opened it up and I looked at it. And, and right there was everything that I wanted to look at and actually how I could monthly chart everything. You know what I mean? And so this is what we're talking about here. These are realities. Okay. You want to know the science because it helps to know the why. I'm curious. I don't want you to just tell me something. I want to know what the why. Okay. If I eat a, a really nice dish of food. I don't want to just know it was a good tasting mood. I'll say to somebody, what's in it? Okay. And so I want more information. So the detail of what you're putting in is new information is exactly how you're expanding the horizons of your life opportunities. So when you come to where the Buddhist perspective is practice of mind. Okay. Well, practicing of mind to me means constantly refurbishing it with new information. I'm 82 years old this year, okay? And every day of my life, I spend time of my day making sure that I have put something in that I don't know. It has gotten kind of testy these days, okay? Because I'm so curious that I have a real expanded range of interest. But as far as I'm concerned, I have to make sure that something went in that I don't have. And I make sure that that's not the politics and whatever the insanity is, is out there in the news. But for causes and things that my interest is in, I'm up to date on all my stats and everything so that I can have my plan that will make me most effective to actually bring about the reality that I'm looking at. Right now, what all of us are doing and what we're involved in is actually the human trafficking situation that's happening in Arizona because of the massive crowds that are coming in for the golf tournament and some big football event, okay? But because that's already been charged, we're experiencing extreme successes at deterring that, okay? And at this point in time, that's nothing other than people putting that into their mental state, understanding what it is and how that happens and making sure that we're the interference. We put a wrench into that works. So that this is the reality of you learning what we're sharing here in this chapter. Please go into this chapter and make it work for you. Okay, co-host, we still have a few minutes here. Anybody else want to add some more stuff? Yeah, this is Trina. What I really loved about this chapter and using this idea of the bell curve was it gave me a really good visual about me being in one place and my average behaviors and then as I could add more and more of what I wanted, how it literally shifted, how I could shift. And I know we, we brought up the word sneer, you know, kind of making a face at something, but the thought that popped in my head around it was, if you move, like for me living in Denver, if I moved to the South and there's a strong accent, if I continued to hear this accent over and over and over again, what would end up happening is eventually I'd start adopting that, that accent. And that's one of the things that he talks about in this is that it's a natural process of change. And that's why um, different types of life will evolve is because they're being hit with a certain type of external environment where their neurons begin to change their cellular 
um, patterns begin to change and they evolve into something completely different. And that moves them on this curve to a different type of normal behavior. And it really stressed to me thinking in the way of the bell curve is when I hear put that new information in, like you were just talking about, and then repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and do the practices. Um, it gave it so much more life than, than imagining the neurons. It was a whole other way of saying, oh, the repetition of it will drive it. It will change us. It will move us. And that's how we naturally learn from the time we're a baby. And we practice something and do it over and over and over again to when we go to school and we learn and we compound on top of it. And so it is the natural way that we learn. So if we want to change ourselves, the natural way to do it is to put that information in and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. So this gave me a lot of clarity on all of that. I'm saying that's great. And I agree with the repetitions. But what I would say to you is working in the lab and watching the progressive development of what we're teaching here. Okay. When we're saying do those repetitions, okay, it's real important to actually remember the kind of analogy we use when we're talking about a subject. And we say there's an elephant. And we're going to be talking about the trunk and we're going to talk about the tail and then we're going to talk about a foot or we're going to talk about the ear. Okay, when you're doing those repetitions, it's good to add some more part of it. Okay, Uh, that that you're sort of looking at it all the way around. Okay, the backside, the size, up, the up, down and actually add a little more enhancement of it and that that the brain grabs that real fast. Okay. The repetitions are good as far as firing a neural net, but in that neural net, it will become very separative if we don't like add and have some way that its margins become to emerge into the larger picture. So in the repetitions of how we're repeating something, how I've done that and work with that is I change the particular environment of the rep when I'm doing the repetitions. Okay. Um, if, if there's something that I'm studying and that I realize I'm going to have to actually take action on, and I'm seeing how I want to do that. And I'm journaling that and I'm, I'm even sketching. I'll do the art of that. I'll do colors with it and everything else. So I'm enhancing it each time I repeat it. So if you just find a way that you can do that, especially on the serious things you're looking to want and, and get, okay. You want to, you want to take a little bit more what I consider discovery to do that, okay? And the repetitions are necessary and the enhancement of those actually help it get fuller and faster, okay? Anybody else got some more you wanna add to whatever? Okay, I guess we've pretty much considered this elephant all the way around, haven't we? So that's all great. Okay, so we're going to actually close for this week. And again, uh, the message, the repetition we're going to do here is please spend time with Chapter 5 in Matter into Feeling of Dr. Fred Allen Wolf's book. Okay, and to my co-host, thank you for a wonderful, exciting call and see you soon. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.